what really is most important is that you're going to do well academically in classes that you enjoy. Yes, there are certain prerequisites that you are going to need to take for medical school, but in terms of that, you know, it's not going to take up all your time in your degree. And so you can major in whatever you want. There's always another way to turn your path that can get you to where you want to be. Welcome to Wolfpack Career Chats. This is Marcy Bullock, the creator of a podcast which helps college students who are seeking a fulfilling, healthy, and successful work and personal life. This season, we are focusing on versions of you, who you were, who you are, and who you will be. Enjoy. Hello, friends. Today, Hannah Yeagers is with us, our brand spanking new Assistant Director of Pre-Health Pre-Law Advising in the Career Development Center. Hi, Hannah. Hi. Nice to be here. It's so nice to have you, and thank you for joining us. You are brand new to our team, as I mentioned. You came back to Raleigh after a little hiatus from being a grad student here, and now you are doing this wonderful new job that we'll get into in just a moment. But to kick this off, why don't you share a little bit about your story, who you were, who you are, and who you will be? Mm. Okay. Well, I would say I was I was a STEM kid and I am an advisor now. And I think my goal of who I will be is that, you know, I'd like to lead my own team of pre-health and pre-law advising here at NC State. And I'm going to manifest that someday I will live in Bolin Heights in Raleigh. That sounds fun. I don't know where that neighborhood is, but I'm sure you will get there because you are a very determined person. And why don't you share a little more detail about where you studied your undergrad, how you got to state what you did before here? Yeah. Okay. So I did go to UNC for undergrad, but I made my way to state. So it's okay. (laughs) I ended up choosing UNC that it was the right choice for me because they have this academic success center for students who have ADHD and learning disabilities. And I do fall into that category. And I worked with a woman named Teresa Maitland there who worked in that office at the time. And she was sort of my guide. So that was a really big pull for going there. I like to share some of my college story because like I messed up all the time and everything worked out okay. I started out as a physics major. Like I said, I was a STEM kid. And, you know, I found it really interesting in high school and I was going through the courses. Um, And then when I got to Calc 3 after failing Calc 2 and then retaking it, I was like, calculus is not my jam. This is not the way it's going to go. And um, because I had like had documented use of using the counseling center and resources, I was able to take a medical withdrawal. Um, my first semester of my sophomore year, which I think it was extremely helpful to me. I sort of wish I would have take, done the thing where you take a gap year before you come into college, but you know what? It was helpful with that. And so at that time, I actually applied to be an RA and somehow like got put on the list for interviews. I guess I you know, was enrolling again in the spring and then I ended up getting that position for the next fall. And I started getting involved 
with the Catholic Center there as well. And I went on a number of spring break trips that were service trips. And so between being an RA and doing those service trips and working towards being a public service scholar, that sort of got me involved in working um, with people. And I, I ended up majoring in women's studies and sociology, which were very interesting to me. And so at, when I was an RA, I was graduating in December, and this is like my fourth year of college. I, my boss, my community director, brought me to a lunch with other student affairs professionals. And she said, I think you would be good at this. And I chatted with them. There were a lot of other community directors and I had never heard about going into student affairs or working in higher education, but it definitely felt like something that, that could be right for me. And she told, I remember at that lunch, they said, don't pay for grad school. Someone will pay for grad school. And so that's how I ended up at NC State and I ended up working in housing. And I actually at that time was the residence director for Brigal Hall, which I can just see out of my window right now, which is pretty fun. I definitely knew, even though I stayed in housing for a while, I definitely knew it was not right. It, it wasn't the right fit. Being on call, it was a lot. So I did that during undergrad. And then I ended up going into working in housing for another three years in a small small liberal arts college in New York State. And so during that time, to be completely truthful, I think after four or five months there, I started applying for jobs. And I did that for about two and a half years until I ended up where I wanted to be, but I grew a lot during that time. As a person and as a professional, I moved to this small town in New York where I knew nobody and you know that that really was was a big thing for me. And so I applied for jobs for a while, some I got, some I didn't. And then I decided that career and advising was sort of where I wanted to be. And so I applied for a position at the University of Virginia as a career counselor. And I, I didn't get it, but they held on to me and said, there's another position coming that I think will be right for you. And my boss at the time, Kim Sauerwine, had worked in housing when she was younger and then got into advising for health professions and, and pre-law. And I said, I don't know any, like, I don't have a background in any of that. And she said to me, you have the foundation that you need of caring about working with students and having that foundation of student support. You can learn this. And so I did. <laughs> and so I did that for a few years um, and I really enjoyed it. I loved, I loved working with my team there and the students at, at the University of Virginia. And then this position came up at State and I'm from Raleigh, I grew up here and I knew that it was sort of my chance and I, and I didn't wanna miss it. And to be completely honest, I, was, I wasn't sure 100%, I, I was like, am I totally ready for this? And I decided I was gonna take the jump and now I'm here. So that was a little long-winded, but I do like to share my story because it's not, it's not exactly, you know, a, a straightforward path. And I think it's, it's nice to hear those stories. That, I totally, know. 
I totally yeah. agree, Hannah. And that's that's really lovely to hear a little bit more. I learned some things about you because we've only known each other a few months since you came on board and we we stole you away from those cavaliers. So we're so happy that you're here. And, and even just for students to hear things like that you were connecting up with the ADHD and Learning Disability Center, there's no shame in that, that you failed a class and you were able to recover from that. That doesn't mean you're a failure. It just means that you learn something about yourself. And onward, you use the counseling center, all of these things like students can withdraw from classes, and they can get back up on their feet. And sometimes life throws you a curveball. And I'm so happy you had that mentor that introduced you to student affairs, because it's funny, I was the same way as an undergrad, I didn't know what I wanted to do. But I was kind of like, staying in a university setting sounds fun. Like, could I do that forever? So here you are working with students who would like to go on to law school or any of the health professional programs. Where would one start if they are thinking about that and they are brand new to our campus? Hmm. Well, there are lots of places to start. Luckily, there are a lot of people at NC State that are here to help you, which I think was a draw for me coming to NC State as well. I love all all the support that there is here for students. But I would say that, you know, Marcy and I were just talking this morning where I've just finished recording a video that sort of does an intro to being pre-health at NC State. And I'm hoping to get one done for, for pre-law soon as well that will be up on our website that has sort of this, this great intro there. So I would say a good place to start is the website just to sort of like poke around. If you're, I think a lot of my students end up coming from the biological sciences department and there are a ton of really good academic advisors over there that also can help you get started and then they will send you to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's really nice to know a couple of those things, like especially the video, which we'll link up in our show notes. And this will be coming out in spring 2023. So I'm sure the pre-law video will be there, academic advisors. And then once someone's kind of peeked around there, and then they are interested in talking to you as the person who can give them some more guidance, I think sometimes people get intimidated. Do they have to know what kinds of questions? to ask? Or what do you recommend they do to prepare for this, this advising appointment here in Pullen Hall? Yeah, so I think, I mean, people can come to me at any stage in the process, it could, they could have no clue. And they just always thought like, oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to be a doctor or a, a physician assistant or a lawyer and just come and chat about it and sort of like what the different steps might be and how they can explore to decide if that's right for them. And so I would say, you know, most of, I would say most students do come in sort of with a list of questions and we go through those. Um, and then, you know, sort of as we're going through those or if we're doing, you know, a course plan, going through questions that come up throughout that. And so I think it's great to come with a list of questions if you just come in because you're a first year and you say, or I don't know, anywhere in the process. But, you know, for example, say a first year comes in and says like, well, I figured I should meet with you because this is what I'm interested in. I don't know where to start. We can do the whole general spiel. I have, you know, this sort of framework about that sets you up to be a good candidate that breaks down into academic components, career components, and um, personal components. 
And so we can sort of talk through what it looks like of how you can grow and prepare for going into <clears throat> for going into healthcare or going into the pre-law field. So we really can talk through anything about where where students are and yeah, I'm just nice. I, I encourage someone who's curious to just make an appointment with me through EPAC and we can have have a chat and then see where things go from there. Yeah, you're so easy to talk to. And I know I've already referred some students to you and they've they've said how wonderful it was. They didn't have to have this whole script planned out, which I think people get a little nervous if they're not sure, wait, I don't know what to ask. And you're a great example of a person, like you said, who started in STEM and then made a big change towards the humanities. So People don't have to have everything figured out right away, but we certainly know that a lot of students start off thinking, well, maybe I'll go on for some more education. You know, maybe I want to get my law degree or maybe I want to be a doctor, a dentist or a physical therapist, dot, dot, dot. So if they're kind of thinking about that, what would be a piece of advice you would give someone if they're, they're maybe not sure if that professional path is right for them because they're younger and they, they just aren't really definite on it. What would you say to them? I would definitely say, I think my number one thing is doing shadowing or informational interviews. I think shadowing is really big for health professions and some of them do expect it to know that you have explored, but I think also for legal fields as well. Like if you can follow around a lawyer for a day, that would be awesome. Cause I think a lot of, and you know, expectedly so a lot of our concepts of these different professions come from podcasts and TV and that kind of stuff. So actually seeing, you know, what is, uh, what entails each is a really great way to sort of decide if you feel like it's right for you. And sometimes if shadowing feels a little out of reach, I also really am very fond of the informational interview, you know, sitting down, asking someone for like 30 minutes or an hour of their time to chat on Zoom about their path and, you know, about what they do day to day to sort of get an understanding overall and really doing those things until until you feel like, you know, you're at a point that that you are understanding where you might be leaning. I think those are really, really great options. And it's something that I suggest early on to my students. I like that idea of just asking someone questions and following them around. Is there a certain place that you recommend they go to find that person? So there are different ways to go about it. You know, it's nice to start learning those networking skills early on but i also am a fan of using linkedin you know if through nc state there's an alumni tab on our linkedin page and you can search different professions in the area that you're in so you could look in the triangle area or if you're trying to connect with someone um, when you're at home or if you're just doing a zoom thing and it doesn't really matter you know these are NC State students who have had to do the same things. And so hopefully they're they're a little more accepting of, of requests for shadowing and informational interviews. And it's also really nice to hear that from someone who maybe had similar experiences on their path getting there. So I think that that's a big thing that I recommend. But also I would say there there are for health professions in the area, different large hospitals do or hospital health systems 
do have shadowing programs as we're coming out of COVID generally, um, you know, some of those are opening up more, but people do sort of need to keep an eye on it as well. But I, I am a fan of, of LinkedIn. If you're sort of trying to explore and do some, just learn some quick things about the field. Of course, there's Ask the Pack as well, which is a great resource too. Wonderful. I think you're right. LinkedIn is great. Wolfpack family loves to give back to each other. And then we'll link up to Ask the Pack, which is an additional resource for people. So once they've done a little bit of that, they've talked to some people, maybe observed a bit, what would be the next step for making sure that they can test the waters out? So for the health professions, it's going to be that clinical experience. And so I always will ask students like in a presentation, what's, what do you think the point of clinical experience is? And you get varied answers, but often you get the answer of like to have hours for medical school. And the real heart of it answer is so that you know that you're going into the right field for you and that you've done that exploration and you're going to get there to the school and say, yeah. I'm in the right place. And that's how schools see that investing in you and having you represent their school is going to be good. And so it really is for you and for your development and understanding of the field. And then schools want to see that you've done that and been purposeful and that you're a good person and you care about your community and and giving back and supporting the health and well-being of your community. I think, you know, in terms of people who are going into into a legal field, there's a there's a bit more flexibility of what you um can do overall cuz really almost anything can tie in into the law. There are so many different legal legal fields to go into. So you know, if someone is has an interest in, say, environmental law, like maybe they're going to do an internship with like the Sierra Club or something. But, you know, it also can be good to, to look for opportunities with law firms if that's something, especially for maybe the person who's still trying to decide if law school is the way that they want to go. I think that can be really helpful to just see it in action. Um, but anything that's really going to build your leadership skills that is going to, you know, show teamwork, that's going to show your analytical skills, all those types of things are going to be helpful on your way. Yeah, really great ideas, because that way it's not just checking a box for your application, but it's really helping you grow as a person to figure out the next step in the process. Well, zooming in on the pre-meds for a minute, because I know you mentioned some study biology and they got referred to you through the academic advisors. Do they have to study an undergraduate science curriculum to be ready to take the admissions tests and get in? Or what's your thought on that? They absolutely do not. And I think there's, it's sort of, you know, another misconception that you have to be a biology major or a natural sciences major to go into medical school, or that you have to do BME, or that BME, biomedical engineering, is going to be more impressive, you know, on your application. And the honest answer is, it's not. It, it's what really is most important is that you're going to do well academically 
in classes that you enjoy. Yes, there are certain prerequisites that you are going to need to take for medical school, but in terms of that, you know, it's not going to take up all your time in your degree. And so you can major in whatever you want. I, you know, have like taken time and like charted out a bunch of different majors overall and just seeing how it fits in with GEPs and lots of different stuff. And you can be, you can get a BA in English and complete all of your prerequisites for medical school. There are a lot of different options overall of what, what you can do to go into medical school. And in fact, you know, I would, I would say that sometimes having a different major is somewhat more interesting um, to admissions committees as well, because it's, it's something different. You're going to bring, you know, a diversity of thought to, to that class. And so if you're not like this shining star in biology and you're just sort of going through your biology classes and it's not like your favorite thing to do, that's fine. You can do your coursework and, you know, take the rest of your classes in what interests you. That's so good to know. And then getting into the admissions test, can you share a little bit about how a pre-med student would prepare? Yeah. So for the MCAT, I mean, I, I think people, you know, hear about that all the time. So they're like, okay, when do I need to start studying? You can't really be ready to take the MCAT until you're done with biochemistry and through the first part and a little bit of physics because you'll need to build up, build up all that knowledge, which will include, you know, biology, all the chemistries, all that kind of stuff. And so generally a good rule of thumb is that someone should spend at minimum 350 hours studying and getting ready for the MCAT. And that's a lot of time. That's a full summer of working a 40-hour work week, right? And so wow. breaking that up over time depends on, you know, what works best for this for the student or the applicant. And so, yeah, it, it's an important exam. It's not the end-all be-all. Different schools view it very differently, but, you know, it is something that you do need to put the time in for to, to get the results that you want. And there's just a lot of content review and all of that. But, you know, it's not something to worry about until you get to the point where you've completed those, those classes. And if you do, you know, keep to a good schedule, all that kind of stuff, and really like hone in on the understanding of the concepts and looking at, you know, why did I get this question wrong on my practice test? Why did I get this one right? And really understanding your thought process and the concepts overall, that's really the most um, important part. That's reassuring because I sometimes hear from students that like they're not good test takers. And I guess they're wondering, is the number I get on this exam or my GPA, is that going to eliminate me from chances of ever getting accepted? Have you heard any stories of people that maybe don't test well, but still get in? Yes. And, and there's a variety overall. You know, you see numbers online and all that different stuff about the averages. There's a range on either side of that, right? And there are different schools that that weigh it 
at different levels. Some say like, I don't feel like this is an accurate representation. Other schools I've heard say it is the most significant determining factor of how a student will do in medical school and residency. So it really depends overall. In terms of, you know, GPA and MCAT, maybe not where you want them to be, there's always another way to turn your path that can get you to where you want to be. So let's say we're coming into the beginning of our fourth year and the GPA is just not where we want it to be. You know, we're looking at the ranges from like the 25th to the 75th percentile of who gets in and we're not falling within that. So there are different options. You know, you continue to take more coursework after you graduate. There are also these great post-baccalaureate pre-medical programs that fall under this category of what we call academic record enhancers. So someone who's a good candidate for that is maybe someone who struggled at the beginning and then sort of found their bearings and now feels like, I know that I know my stuff. I know that I'm ready for med school but I need to show, or dental school or, or whatever, you can do those in a, in a lot of different areas and say, you know, you take this coursework that often will mimic a lot of the courses that you'll take in your first year of medical school, that'll show to medical schools, yeah, I'm ready, I can handle the coursework. And that's really what they're looking for from the MCAT and from the GPA. It, it's not let me rewind a little bit there. It's not just the GPA, right? It's that and just the MCAT. It's they're looking at your academics as a whole and they're saying, will this person be successful in medical school? Will you know they be able to handle the rigor academically? And so it's an overall picture. And so it's, you know, all these different data points that they put together to say, like, this person is ready for this. And so, you know, if there are different blips on your transcript or, you know, in past MCAT attempts, we need to see how we can get you to the point where you can show that you're going to do well once you get there. So it, it's not a particular number. It's not, you know, a cookie cutter thing that you exactly have to do. It's just being at the place where you know you'll be successful in medical school and so do schools. Oh, that's really helpful to hear. So if you are thinking about, oh, my numbers are going to just be a deal breaker, that's not always the case. And they're going to look at these other components as well, what you did clinically, like you said. Is it important to do anything related to research? So you definitely can. I think research is sort of an extra supplemental part of your application. And it also depends on what your aspirations are for the type of school that you're going to go to. If, you know, you're looking, if you're really interested in doing medical research in the future and you want to go to a research heavy institution like Virginia Tech's medical school is particularly known for, you know, really wanting those physician scientists and that research background. So if that's your goal, then yeah, you should be involved in research. But I would say sometimes applicants will fall into the trap of thinking like everything sort of academic minded and, you know, showing that I'm smart and all these things and going towards research and then forgetting about the clinical aspect. And then when they get to the point of applying, they've done two, three years of research, but they haven't really done much in the clinical field at all. 
And so schools will look at that and say, like, well, how do you know that this is right for you? It sort of looks like you're interested in research. And so I think research can really help solidify some different concepts and bring what they're learning in the classroom into physical practice. And that's really helpful for a lot of people, but it's not necessary for everyone. And so, yes, I think it can be helpful to your application, but it's not always required. No, not always, but it can, like you said, depending on where you want to go. So you explained that really well. I know some students may have a concern about their mental health and maybe something happened during college that impacted their GPA. Is it recommended that they address that in their essay or their interview? And if so, how? So it really depends overall. So for medical schools or for most health professions, there's not some type of addendum that you can do in your primary application. And so it would be up to you to bring it up in your personal statement if you would like. I would say most of the times you don't want that to overtake your personal statement, right? Like you don't want it to just be about whatever this one thing happened unless, you know, let's say it was, you know, something medical and you went through surgery and, you know, that kind of stuff. And it really like, you know, is a big part of your story as to why you want to go into medicine. But I think it can focus too much on that incident or, you know, whatever happened with you know, grades and whatnot and not really share who you are. And there are a lot of there are secondary applications for individual schools that sometimes will like ask you to explain any sort of like question marks on your application. And you can overall. My overall answer to that is that the applicant themselves should be reflecting on if they feel at that the point that they are ready to apply and they're ready like to handle going into whatever program they want to. And so, and, and deciding if what they have sort of shows that. And so schools are looking for that upward trend, that growth. And so say one semester, like I feel like I hear all the time, sophomore year, organic chemistry, things don't go quite, you know, how people might have expected or wanted them to. Um, and there's this sort of dip and then things go up from there. It's so common and people get into programs all the time with that. Um, and so it, it's really up to the person based on what they want the schools to know about them. It's important that, you know, if anything in particular, like happen that you take responsibility for it and you really show how you learned and grew from it and how that's gonna make you, like you're gonna be able to handle, um, you know, a course that didn't go quite right in the future and how you know how to study for that in the future or saying like, I had a really tough go this semester. Like I mentioned that, you know, that I did. And then making sure that you've shown that you have been working towards what is going to make you like keep you the healthiest and in the best space to be going into a rigorous program. So it's all about like the story overall and what you want painted. If, you know, there are those blips and it hasn't really evened out to the point where you feel like it shows that you're ready, then we need to take some more time, right? And, you know, it's, you can take as much time as you want. Like I'm, 
I don't know, I'm in my 30s and I know people who are in medical school currently because it took them a while to figure out that they wanted to go to medical school or PA school or PT school or whatever. Or, you know, they took some time to sort of get to where they wanted to. And it's totally fine. It's just up to each person how we want to fine tune and and sort of which directions we want to go. And I would very much encourage those students to come and talk to me to see how we can make, you know, the most out of their application and, and see, you know, what's the most strategic timing and, you know, talk through personal statements and stuff like that. Very helpful because I'll, we'll go ahead and put your email in this podcast show notes. And you're just making this offer to students that if you need help with this on your essay, or it sounds like maybe even at the interview stage, if they need help, you're, you're here to support them. Yeah, of course. Wonderful. Well, Hannah, this has been fantastic. I know there's a lot more for students to dig into, and I'm sure you're going to be hearing from them. Thank you. Yes, of course. It was so nice to get to chat with you today. 